BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Uh, all right hi robert all right sophie is that do do we need to do anything else Nah. all right well this is behind the bastards it's a podcast about the worst people in all of history this is our first recording session of 2020 what year is it jamie loftus it's 2022 2022 jamie how is the new year treating you I mean, it's it's already been a roller coaster. The ups, yep. the downs. I wish I was kidding. We just talked about it off mic. We just, we just did had talk a about wild it. catch up session, and I guess we're just gonna have to let the listeners fill in the blanks for themselves. Yeah, this is behind the bastards. This is behind the bastards. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie, I just, I, I just, I missed you guys. It's so your nice to brain, just talk. Jamie, is like a library of of oh, different shit. screenwriters. Jamie, Speaking of okay. that, Jamie how do you feel understand. about libraries? <laughs> do you understand the gif I sent you yesterday? Now, do you like Jamie? Do you yeah. like libraries? You big fan I, of libraries? I like libraries. I used to you have. Do. I used to scare my little brother. With okay, this the reason my little brother is not very well read. Sorry for calling him out, but when <laughs> I I loved libraries when I was a kid, and then I told my I made I made up a weird lie that I'm very proud of because I was very young when I made it up. I told my oh, little I brother, mm-hmm. I t- yeah, I told my little brother that there's one book in every library, and you don't know what book it is, but if you pull it off the shelf, the whole library blows up. And oh, then good, he, that's a good then one. He, and then he didn't go to the library and didn't read books. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a good one. 
That's yeah, that's, I was that's, pretty proud that's of it. very ambitious. My my Thank favorite you. lie I've told a loved one is I I convinced someone I cared about very much that the band Hanson had died in a terrible bus crash, and then like a year <laughs> later at a party, somebody brought up Hanson, or I think the, the one of their songs started playing, and the the person Ooh. I had told this lie to was like, "Oh, it's so sad that they died in that bus crash," and it was the funniest moment <laughs> in the world to me. <laughs> That is an incredible lie because it is believable. Like, yeah, because where did Hanson go? Band, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It kind of fell off. Wow. Oh, I would believe. I think that there would have been. And then I, because I know better, because mm. I keep up with Hanson, I'd be like, yeah. that's not true. But mm. most people would believe that lie. Most people and would carry believe it that. With them for a the year. only way to really make yourself immune from those kind of lies oh, is to back, spend a lot back. of time at the library. Now, Jamie, yeah. <laughs> have you ever yeah. heard of Melville Dewey? Uh, is that a, of, of the Dewey Decimal System Dewey's? Yep, yep, yep. I've That's heard of him. Guy. I know nothing about him. Is he bad? Well, he's a tremendous piece of shit. Oh, um, shit. Robert. This episode is titled Melville Dewey Library asshole, um, and it's about <laughs> oh, no. Melville Dewey. And this That's is this is going to be interesting. This is a, we're we're taking a little bit of a a different sort of task than we do. Most of our episodes are about bad people who do bad things, right? But uh-huh. sometimes, like there are bad people who make broadly good things, and the opposite is true too, right? Like you look into the atomic bomb project, and a lot of the dudes who were like responsible for that were basically decent men who were either like the war was so bad they thought it was you know necessary or they were just Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by scientific fascination they weren't like monsters they were just like guys who because of you know wound up contributing despite the fact that they were basically decent to something that wound up being terrible that shit happens and the opposite happens like people who are shitty can make good things i'm sure like george w bush's art George W. Bush's art. Um, Beautiful, perfect art. No notes. Yeah. Um, So this is a story about a terrible man whose influence was not entirely, but like probably broadly positive. Although we'll talk about some ways in which the Dewey Decimal System reinforces um, racism, um, which I did not know. And I found fascinating. Um, I I don't know this either. He was an extremely influential man, and his achievements were significant parts of the foundation of, like, the global library systems, right? So, like, nations around the world that have national and public libraries, almost all of them, pretty much all of them, owe some sort of a debt to the way Melville Dewey, not just the Dewey Decimal System, but other kind of library infrastructure. He was one of the people who helped to to come up with. I feel like most um, bookstores as well, like, don't, don't yeah, use it directly, probably. but definitely influenced by yeah. it. Yeah. yeah I, there's probably a couple of billion people who have been alive that could credit some degree of their education or at least their love of reading to the work of Melville Dewey. That's like a significant legacy for anybody. Yeah. Melville was also a real, real unpleasant motherfucker. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Melville Lewis Cossuth Dewey was born on December 10th, 1851 in Adams Center, upstate New York. At the time, this was known as the Burned Over District due to the fact that successive waves of evangelical Christian movements had swept the area repeatedly during the half century before Melville's birth. The burned over district gave us Mormonism, Millerism, the Oneida colony, huge influential chunks of the suffrage and abolitionist movement, as well as the temperance movement. So it was like, this is a place where a lot of these like major social movements in the U.S. kind of repeatedly, if it's not the only place where they start, it's one of the places where they really get their start. Um, It was also not an easy place to live. This is not like 
comfortable country. It's it's a hard right. like if you think about like upstate New York and like what the weather is like there and how difficult it can be to subsist in like the winter there with mm-hmm. modern technology. It's like a rough motherfucking place to be a human Even being. Even with modern technology, yeah. it fucking sucks. Yeah. There's 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 difficulties. Yeah. yeah. Um one Wilson Library Bulletin write-up that I found refers to it as hard-bitten country, quote, where survival was the goal and adherence to the basic codes of industry, frugality, and self-reliance were the guideposts. In other words, Millville was born into a part of the world where influential people regularly set out to fundamentally change major aspects of the world around them. And it was also a per- place where working people had thin margins for success or failure, and mm. precision and efficiency were crucial. So this is kind of what is molding him as a person is this place where like not only is this a place where people set out to change everything on a pretty regular basis um but also it's a place where you learn as a kid you've got to be your shit's got to be on point you know like there's not fat margins here you have to you have to be a high achieving person in order to continue living to keep your house warm you have to be like industrious and shit you know on your shit to not die right okay that makes that makes sense then for the region yeah, it, it really does. Um, Melville's yeah. parents were bootmakers and boot sellers. Now, some sources <gasps> will claim that they were the hardest working people in town, although it's quite likely this has its origin in the various hagiographies do of you... Dewey rather than an objective reality. Like, that, I mean, that just sounds like an American or- origin story. Yeah, like they, yeah. They were the best at the thing. They were the like... hardest workers in the town. And, you know, maybe yeah, it's because well... he said that and that's just he was the only person from his town who lived long well, enough that people cared about what he said about the past. I don't we know. All, well, as we yeah. all know, in this era the mm. be, the best and the most shoes were coming out of my hometown brockton mm. massachusetts aka shoe city so it's kind of hard to say that they were shoe working town, the hardest because uh, it's shoe city massachusetts robert my ass um so his parents were not very affectionate or emotionally engaged, uh, and Dewey inherited from them a maniacal work ethic and what some might call a robotic mm. attitude towards productivity and efficiency. Um, right? He's, yeah, he's one of these people who's just like, uh, he's like a machine the way that he works. Um, now, at age five, he took it upon himself to take an inventory of his mother's spice cabinet. He decided that she was basically a messy motherfucker and like, this isn't efficient at all. You've done a terrible job of organizing your spice cabinet, mom. And as a five-year-old, he rearranges everything without asking her. This is the first story you'll hear about what will become a lifelong predilection for what he called self-improvement activities. He's obsessed with organizing things, making them more efficient. Um, and even as... I wonder if that is actually true because that does right. that just sounds like something you would make up about the guy who would go on to invent the Dewey Decimal System. It's it like, is. Oh, he couldn't stop organizing things. It's like when you find out Chuck E. Cheese was an orphan and you're like, yeah. well, that's an interesting detail. You I mean guess. Charles Alexander Charles Entertainment, Entertainment Cheese? Cheese, yes. <laughs> he was an orphan and then he became mm-hmm. a rat who smoked a cigar. You know, mm-hmm. classic American origin story. Uh, yeah, really, really uh, evidence of. The fa- yeah, sorry. Do you think he was organizing spices, or do you think that that's kind of like a self mythology? So I, I have to think back to our Jeff Bezos episodes, which kind of start with very similar stories about him when he's like seven or eight years old doing this stuff, like um, like grading his teachers and his his parents, and like the, this very analytical, like and it, it you know it's the same question I have with Bezos. I think it's a little more likely that the stories are real just because you hear them from like they come from people who were like his adults They're around like him when he was a kid, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but so I don't know, like maybe Dewey made them up, but also like maybe he and Bezos are just kind of similar people and there's kids who have that kind of mind. Um, mm. But I think the fact that Dewey and Bezos that like there, there's elements of their childhood of like their their childhood isn't similar because Dewey grows up in a very difficult part of the world and Bezos does not. But they, they both kind of have this organization brain where they're they're kind of obsessed with efficiency. Um, mm. they, that does sound kind of similar to me. And I kind of am inclined to think that there might be some truth to the spice cabinet story just because yeah there's 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 people like that you know um okay. maybe um now his parents were successful enough that they could afford to pay him for doing his chores the first product he remembered saving up to buy with his money was an unabridged dictionary which he had to walk 10 miles in order to purchase oh, now weird kid that part of the story may be apocryphal, the 10 miles part, because Dewey was obsessed with the number 10, and he may have retroactively inserted it into his past and later recollections because he oh. was just like absolutely obsessed with the number 10 um, and with like decimals, with base 10, like all this kind of stuff. He fucking loves 10. Big, big, huge 10 nerd. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, as a teenager, Melville extended his organizational mind to the family business. From a 1981 write-up in the Wilson Library Bulletin, quote, He made a thorough analysis of his father's store, proved its business of inefficiencies, and made arrangements for the transfer of its inventory to its competitor down the street. Apparently, Joel Dewey accepted his son's criticism. He closed the store. So his dad huh. both made shoes and stole them, and Dewey's like, <laughs> this isn't efficient. You should just be making shoes. You're not good at selling them. Like, let's have a competitor down the street sell the shoes and focus entirely on manufacturing. And for whatever whatever else is going on, his dad is like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. See, um, I, for some reason, I do believe that over the sure. spice story. Because I feel like there are some parents that, I don't know, I like did my parents were asking me for a marriage advice way too young. And like, they were just like, do you, how do you feel about how this is? And I'm like, well, I'm six and I'm not having a good time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents asked me if they should cash their 401ks out to buy Beanie Babies. And I said, absolutely. You say, um, yes, this bubble is never going to mm -hmm, burst, baby. Mm -hmm. And that's and why that's you're the why, world's most famous economist. That's why I got them putting all their money into NFTs now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> uh, so uh, high school is when Dewey grew first grew obsessed with the number 10. Um, and it was, it was he learned about. So he's in high school and he learns about the metric system. And he's just like, oh, this is so much better than the, the way that we count things in America. I fucking love the metric system. Um, uh -huh. The thing that was particularly striking to him was that his birthday was December 10th, 1851, which was exactly 52 years after the French assembly adopted the meter bar as a standard unit of measurement. I don't know what? why he found that meaningful but he found that intensely meaningful whatever go figure out how do you even like i don't know well i mean that's an important moment in the development of the metric system like deciding what a meter is like that that is meaningful i feel like that's like his version of astrology though some people have moments with astrology where they're like yes this means this means this means this and and this is just like his weirdo version of that yeah, he just he fucking loves the metric system. He loves decimal Ugh. shit. He loves the number 10. He's just that's he's a, it's a thing for him. Um, that's, his, that's his father, son, Holy Ghost. Yeah, it's fine. Um, when sure. he was 16, Melville started attending the Hungerford Collegiate Institute, which is a college prep yeah. school. Now, this is is a period kind of the mid to late 1800s. This is when college starts to become vastly more common. Right. For a long okay. time, it had just been like you had if you were very rich and powerful, if you were in the aristocracy 
aristocracy. You would go to college and like a man, obviously. Um, the 1800s is when that starts to change and college becomes something that like the middle class and like people who are rich, but not of the aristocracy can reasonably expect to experience. The number right. of They're colleges. Like, Wait a second. What yeah. if we extorted every class for this semi useful thing? I, I don't know if they're even extorting because right. Like it is, I think more reasonably. I don't know what, how it is at this point. I know when my parents went to college, it was the kind of thing you could accidentally pay for if you had a decent job bartending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that um, is how my parents went to school. Yeah, the I number guess of I'm college. Just- I think it is. I don't think it's quite. I think it is still pretty expensive at that point. Obviously, there's not as many colleges. The number of colleges actually doubles in the first half of the 1800s. Um, And and so by by the time Melville starts prep school, it's become much more common to go to college. But it was still not the norm for teen boys to prepare for higher learning. In fact, the fact that he goes to high school means that he's gotten more education than most kids probably could expect to get in the United States. My fucking grandfather never made it past the fourth grade because the Great Depression happened happened right like that wasn't abnormal in that period sure um so the fact uh, the fact that he makes it to this is is both a mark of the fact that his family has some money they're certainly not rich but like they're comfortable enough that they can afford the sacrifice and also he's obviously brilliant you do not in this period of time just for bragging rights put your kid in this kind of program you do it if they're like well this this kid has a, a mind that everyone around us has noted and we have to get him into a college. This kid's um, doing shit with spices since he was this in kid's organizing spices. Get, get him, him in a college. Program. <laughs> yeah. So during his first year of prep school, there's a terrible fire in the building and Dewey risks sure. his life to rescue not other classmates, but as many armloads of books as he could manage. Um, and he almost dies doing this. Like he, that's how dedicated this kid is to books, which I do find admirable, honestly. Um, that is I would really- you people first but i don't know that there i was, were people I was danger, gonna say you know? i mean there is an asterisk but that but you know I, at its core they may have uh, all gotten out i didn't hear that anyone died in the fire i don't know that would be um, funny if he was running past people who were burning <laughs> yeah, alive like kicking people to, to get like, books out <laughs> no we gotta get these rl steins out of here he was an author no, in the I, 1800s right yeah absolutely yeah. um but yeah he inhales enough smoke saving as much of the library as he could that he gets bedridden for like six months um and his doctor God. actually warns his parents that he's probably going to die obviously he does not are um, you really going to be like a, a great person one day quote unquote if you don't have a long childhood illness that is such a well, common thing you just ever. gotta like lay in bed and be like wow life really is fragile isn't it and then you go on to do the most horrific shit you can think of yeah I think it looks like I think it's worth noting that like I think probably most kids have a near death experience in the in the mid 1800s right? you know that would, yeah. I would have such um, I would have such a failure complex if I yeah. had a long childhood illness and then went on to be a regular person because it just seems like you have to be like Proust after that. I don't know. Yeah, that's the only way. That's why we have so many Prousts. So for Dewey, this experience drives home the almighty importance of efficiency. He believes that death could come at any time, which obviously it can, um, and you needed to get as much done as possible before you die. Before he graduates from high school, Dewey gives a speech to his classmates about how wasting time is immoral. As a graduation (laughs) present, he buys himself cufflinks. Yeah. Sorry, Uh, that wasn't nice. No, it's not. Um, As a graduation present, he buys himself cufflinks inscribed with the letter R, which meant reformer. Um, 
So there you go. Now, okay, I'm gonna yeah, get a T-shirt that says, "I'm gonna get a bunch of A's." I'm like, it's because I'm awesome. There, yeah. that's what a what a weird man. All right, he's 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 a weird man. Um, also like whatever. Um, n- nothing sure, bad yet. Way. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I'm just I'm just hearing a weird teenager is on a the weird, loose. He's he's definitely a little <laughs> bit of a weird teenager, right? Like, yeah, a weird virgin is on but, the loose, which does not usually lead to good things. I will say. <laughs> Oh, Reddit's going to get angry at that one, Jamie. No, cut it out, Chris. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. I um, don't want them to get mad at me. You know what else Reddit gets angry about, Jamie? Oh, what? The products and services that support <laughs> this podcast. They do, probably. I mean, Please yeah. don't yell at me, Reddit. I'm sorry I called mm-hmm. weird virgins Jamie angry. Jamie loves virgins. I... No, don't... <laughs> I don't say that, Do Robert. whatever you mm-hmm. want. Do mm-hmm. whatever you want. Or don't do whatever you want. Or don't do whatever you want. Sure. I now I'm flashing my R cufflinks so you know that I'm serious. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Here's some ads. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of 
seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Oh, man, we are... Now, those were some products. Those those were some products, and might have been a service or service or two. To be honest, a service or two. Yeah, can't 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 say it. it certain I can't say it wasn't a service or two. You know that that I, I certainly wouldn't argue. Jamie, so we've got a teen on the loose. We got a teen on the loose. Melville Dewey is out in the motherfucking wild, and by the wild, okay. I mean Alfred University. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> that's where he gets accepted after high school. Um, okay. Before he leaves home, he changes his name from Melville. M-E-L-V-I-L-L-E, you know, the way that people spell Melville, to M-E-L-V-I-L, which he considered more efficient. <laughs> no way! He's oh, like, oh, this goes real far, he, Jamie. Yeah. He trimmed off the he last two off, letters? He, he trimmed off two letters, yeah, to make it more efficient. You don't need well, that last L and E. You can pronounce Melville fine without them. It's, it's, it's like, phonetically, it's, it still works. It's I just kinda, wasted time and space. <laughs> I'm kind of loving him. I feel like it's I very like funny. Yeah, at this phase in his life, I feel like we would have been friends in high school. I feel like I would have been exhausted by him, but I I am exhausted by him just reading about him. So (laughs) as a university student, he continues his old habits. He was offended by the fact that many of his classmates smoked cigars, which he thought was financially inefficient. And he calculated that their smoking habits would cost them each an average of $15,000 over the course of a lifetime. He tried to tell people this, but I don't think it actually made anyone stop smoking. Um, (laughs) No, it just got his ass beat. What? (laughs) It's weird. Bezos did kind of the same thing with his fucking grandma um uh, oh right yeah yeah jesus it's just this like just let people do it's it's the 18 fucking what's like 60s like life is terrible let people smoke Max cigars like, yeah chill. top and it's gonna suck for most of that let them smoke <laughs> yeah. they're not gonna live long enough to get throat cancer come on they're gonna die because they touched a nail wrong <laughs> <laughs> So at any rate, Dewey quickly transferred to Amherst College. Um, He was inspired by their physical education program, which was one of the best in the world. But once he gets there, he doesn't actually enroll in any sports classes. The only athletic course he took was horseback riding because it was more efficient, because it would get him to class faster. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is like a weird series of decisions to make. I kind of love it. I mean, I I love a singular goal. Yeah. this, I mean, this one is gonna. I, you can already tell the goal of efficiency is gonna is gonna slide at some mm-hmm. point and get very scary. But right now, it's still fun. I would also argue that horseback riding isn't a sport. Look, there are two sports. One of them is that that game they play in Afghanistan with goat heads uh, on horseback, where they kill each other sometimes. Oh, and sure. the other is, uh, I don't know, hot dog eating. Hot dog eating. Those are the two. Yeah. Nothing else is a sport. Fuck yeah. you if you disagree. You know, that's what I got to yeah. say. So that's the official stance. P.E. does not wind up appealing to him in practice. Uh, but Amherst had another boom, uh, another boon for him. It had a 
kind of shitty library that didn't have enough employees to keep it organized. And this is sort of this thing that you see in a lot of really successful people where they find like a system they're interested in and they find uh, like it, it's not being it, it, it like they find it neglected. I think if he'd gone to a college with a better library, his life might have been totally different. But the best thing that happens is that Amherst Library kind of sucks um, and mm-hmm. it's kind of underfunded because they're so into P.E. So he's able to apply for a job there and he gets one and immediately sets to reforming the way the library is organized. So this is like a hugely influential part of his life that Amherst hadn't wow, really so put started, much time into it. So he started this like as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, I think he, yeah, he's got to be like 19 or 20, you know, um, wow. when, when he That's gets into this. And I'm going to read a quote from that write-up in the Wilson Library Bulletin. In that era, library books often were housed according to a numbering system that indicated the floor, aisle, section, and shelf on which they were stored. Whenever rearrangement was necessary, all of the books had to be reclassified, perceiving the amount of time wasted not only in finding books when they were needed, but in their necessary and frequent reclassification, Dewey was determined to devise a simple, workable and permanent classification system. While attending a chapel service at Amherst, he suddenly conceived of the idea of using a system of Arabic numerals with decimals for book classification. The scope of the plan put all printed human knowledge into the ten classifications of a numerical system, ranging from 000 to 900, and made use of as many decimals within each group as were needed to define adequately the content of the book being classified. So I mean, I'm guessing it has sounds... something to do with the way like Bible verses are numbered that that started this. Like that would be my guess as to why it happens in a chapel. But this is like it makes sense. You know, he's the guy. It makes sense based on what we know of his past, his childhood, that like this is the thing he decides to do. It literally sounds like the culmination of everything he's given yeah. a shit about yeah. his entire life. Yeah. 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 Now, Dewey was 21 years old when he invented the Dewey Decimal System. Um, he was very quickly, people very much immediately recognized, oh, this is a way better way to have a library be organized. And he's given Did a we job. Do know how at- it was organized before? Um, yeah, I just said that. Like it, it oh, like they the, kind oh, of like had the previous way. Okay. Yeah, the previous way was like books. Like books had a numbering system that like told you where in the library, in that specific library, they were stored. Right. Which meant that like when you you have to reclassify everything regularly when you change the library, or like if you get a bunch of new stuff, and like every oh, library okay. has a different system, so you never know where to find things. If you go from one library to the other, it's a totally different system. Right. Um, okay. So this yeah. this just like standardized it, and anyone that, could use it. That, okay. Yeah, it standardizes it. It makes it much simpler um, and easier for anyone to find books. If you know, you don't have to know the library. If you know the system, you can find the books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and every, people at Amherst like are immediately like, "Oh, this is a fucking great idea." Um, so he they, he's given a job. He's like promoted and is now like helping to run the entire library. And he spends the next couple of years refining his idea until he was ready to patent it in 1876. Dewey's innovation was immediately appreciated, and his 40-page manifesto spread rapidly among institutes of higher learning who Ooh. adopted it one by one um so so far so good right like he comes up with a better way to make libraries be organized everybody is pretty much instantly like well this is great and they sure. do it i mean yeah, yeah it's, a, it's we still have you know efficiency manifesto there but yes yeah i'm not yes. saying he would have been a fun dude at a party but like it's so far pretty reasonable but guy in terms of the yeah. work it seems like he's doing good yeah stuff. nobody has any qualms with dewey at this point here's the problem though um okay and this is 
a problem with the system he devises. I don't know how much you want to categorize it as a moral problem because a lot of this is the result of where the culture he's raised in. Where does where do, do moral problems go in the Dewey Decimal System? Well, is there not well, a section? We're about for that? to talk about that a lot. So, oh no, <laughs> Dewey didn't just see himself as creating a way to organize knowledge. Um, the system he devised oh. was deeply tied in with his beliefs about hierarchy. And I'm going to oh. quote from the website Book Riot here. It's important to remember the reasons that Dewey wanted public libraries to be a thing in the first place. He was no altruist. He believed that people and concepts belonged in certain places in society and that in those places they must stay. Poor people, for example, needed to be content with non-unionized factory work. Christianity was the only real religion. As for non-white people, was there really a need to address them at all? Now... These are not radical beliefs at the time, Um, but Dewey's status as an innovator allowed him to codify them into the structure of libraries. And we can see this today in how the Dewey Decimal System treats religions. Book Riot continues, quote, the 200s encompass all religion nominally, although the problems with this premise are obvious. Each Dewey heading encompasses 10 major subjects, dividing each up by subtopics that add digits to the end of the number. Six of the 10 subjects in the 200s are explicitly for Christianity related subjects. Three of those remaining are either explicitly or implicitly Judeo-Christian. Finally, at the bottom of the heap, the 290s cover other religions. Islam, Baha'i, and Babism mm. all get to share 297. Germanic religions get 293. All religions of Indic origins, in other words, Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism, get to share 294. Hinduism gets all of 294.5 to itself. How generous. 299 covers everything else, and we're going to focus on this a bit because it's the most glaring example of racism in the Dewey Decimal System. You see where I'm going with this. Religions Dewey associated with people of color ended up with way less space than the real faith. Not convinced? Fine. There's a section in the 200s just for black people. The entire 299.6 subdivision is for religions originating among black Africans and people of black African descent. In fact, everything about African religion of Haitians in Haiti can be fit into 299.609.7294, according to the DDS, Uh. because at some point, someone, for some reason, decided that Haitian religions originating from black people were not as important as Germanic religions originating from white ones. Well, it's like we know who decided that, correct? I mean, was it? Not parts of it where I don't even think he thought about Haitian religions. Right. So like he devises this system. Aspects of it are kind of like codified by other people. But he does kind of start this trend. This is fascinating because it's like we've we've both walked past this problem a million times and never really considered it. This is like, yeah, Yeah. the biases are so, so glaring. Wow. Okay, sorry. Continue. This is why. Yeah. And I've heard it argued that this is less of an issue now. Um, for a variety of reasons, largely due to computers and the way that's kind of changed how how libraries work. But for decades, book catalogers would have to print or write the actual numbers of the Dewey numbers on the spine of a book. It was rarely practical to write a cutter number as long as, say, 0.609-7294, right? You just don't have the room. So catalogers would chop that number down to three or four digits. So a book about Haitian religion would get sliced down to 299.609 or 299. Six, which would mean it gets lumped in with all black religions. Now, this is gross, but it also has really yeah. practical concerns. 
Quote, once local cataloging conventions reduce it to 299.609 or 299.6, its author's last name will determine where it goes on the shelf. At that Ooh. point, it won't be with other books about Haitian religion, so people who look for it will need to comb through every book about black non-Abrahamic religions alphabetically by author. Instead of using the system as a discovery tool, they'll need to know exactly what they're looking for, right down to the correct spelling of the author's last name. Thus do people of color get lost in the Dewey system. The problem with the 200s occurs again in the 300s, where almost everything about people of color can be classified under 305.8, ethnic and national groups. Within this subheading, Germanic peoples again get a relatively clean cutter, 305.82 to be exact. Meanwhile, 305.895 covers all East and South Asian peoples. You can oh probably extrapolate God. the problems with stuffing Just close to 2 billion people. people yeah. In yeah. One yeah. Little okay, with literally hundreds of yeah, yeah. This is truly fascinating. I mean, it's like I, if you think about it for a minute, you're like, oh, of course, colonialism and like all of this person's like deeply held prejudices are naturally filtering into this system. But I, it's just not one I've ever uh, thought about for more than a minute. I guess. Wow, it's the kind of thing. It is the kind of thing where when we talk about like what makes someone a bastard, does his goal was not to exclude people of color. His goal was not to no. reinforce racism. He was just trying to organize books. And he was also a guy who because, like, just did not think about this kind of thing. And it was well, because he was very yeah. much in the biases of the system. He was not, I believe he was not in this. He was not being actively racist. It's more a matter of like, because of who he is and the culture he comes from and the fact that he's very much bought into that culture, he doesn't think about any of these things. And his racism winds up getting in like d- d- like winds up being part of structurally the system that organizes libraries right um, i mean it's like a different kind of insidious because it yeah, yeah I, I i agree with you it's like it, it doesn't sound like anything at least anything he's it's said not hateful so far. like this is not the result of him being hateful it's a result of like he just doesn't think about these people you know and it, yeah, yeah and it's i feel like it's a strong case for why systems like this and obviously it's like it's uh when we talk about systemic kind of racism, this is like what we're talking about. One of but the like things. systems yeah. like this, it, it can't be just one guy making yeah. them because then it's just going to reflect the worldview of one guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah. this is this is and it's I, I'm kind of making this. I'm not trying to like we need to be fair to Dewey. I'm trying to say like this alone. I wouldn't have a behind the bastards on Dewey, even though this is a really sign- probably some of the bastards we've done have done have contributed less evil to the world than this kind of structural racism in the Dewey system does intentionally or not. But there was no, there was no, there needs to be some sort of intent, some sort of actual evil for me to like really want to dig into someone in this way. And that's coming. That is not this part of it. Cause again, this part, this is more the result of just, he's a racist like everyone else, but not hateful. I will say that I did read the first paragraph of his Wikipedia page. And Mm. so I, I feel like I have a little charcuterie board of what's to come. Oh boy. Some fun stuff, Jamie. Wow. 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 Does the, does that, paragraph end not like i was expecting yeah. it's it's quite a tale uh, the story yeah. of melville dewey so obviously this is when we talk about the harms dewey perpetuated this is the big one right and it, yeah. this is re- a really significant harm um but we haven't got to the part yet where he is choosing actively to hurt people 
That's a coming. Okay. So, in oh, 1876, wow. Dewey left Amherst for Boston. By this point, his interest in efficiency had expanded to developing an entirely new, more efficient system of spelling, which he claimed could cut three years off from the time necessary to educate a child. <laughs> he wrote in one paper, and I'm going to I'm going to no. read what he's saying first. And then I'm uh-huh. going to read how it's spelled, okay? Uh-huh. He wrote, just think of what else you could learn in those years. And he spelled it J-S-T, think is spelled normally, of is spelled U-V instead of O-F, which I don't understand how that's more efficient. What is spelled W-A-T, else is spelled E-L-S, U is of course spelled with just the letter U. Could is spelled C-U-D. Learn and in is are spelled normally. And then those is spelled T-H-O-Z. Years is Y-R-N. So like a lot of it is him like, sounds like he's texting, basically. He sounds like he's on Tumblr. That is It's so really funny. funny. He's, he's so... Like the library guy like spells like a 16-year-old texting in 2004. It's very like funny. He's curating a Lolita fashion blog. Yeah, oh it's my extremely God, funny. So funny. Holy shit. And like all of his personal letters are like this. They all read like he's a high school student when like Hannah Montana is on TV. Like it's very funny. What's up? Melville here. (laughs) Um, I love it. Oh God, I hate that he's a bastard. That's so fucking funny. It's it's extremely funny. Um, (laughs) It's extremely funny that like the father of libraries hated spelling with a passion. Um, I think that's, see, that's the kind of edgelord attitude I can get behind. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice here again, he spelled of O-F-U-V, which isn't more efficient but that's the reason he hated the original spelling of it his issue with english isn't just that it's inefficient he also doesn't like the way a lot of words are spelled he doesn't think it makes any sense i Um, think that's a reasonable argument though yeah i mean mean, sure yeah in 1886 he creates a group called the spelling reform association out of a desire to regularize american spelling the line that's Mm -hmm. the line right that's a bit much how does he That's spell the spelling reformer? <laughs> How does he spell? I mean, it was group? spelled normally where I found it, but I'm I'm sure he had his his ideas. I bet that there were <laughs> like numerals yeah. and emojis. Yeah, mm-hmm. very funny. He would have loved God. emojis. This is so he efficient. Would've, he would have loved. He's like an entire emotion for Italians mm-hmm. in one emoji. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So, in this quest, he was less successful. People do not jump on the spell like Melville Dewey train. At one point, Fair. Dewey shortens his surname to DUI, which he has to give up, I think, because his bank won't recognize his checks. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. Like, theoretically, if people had agreed to let him do this, we would we would all be talking about the DUI decimal system, which I find funny. I, that is funny. And it also is. I mean, I feel like, again, it's like he's just so wildly ahead of his time mm-hmm. in naming conventions and spelling mm-hmm. specifically because he's you're describing like internet talk and like yeah, how he would have been incredible on the internet yeah he like, would have been he, a great soundcloud rapper for sure uh, i think that that's safe to say yes mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure yeah he and xxx temptation whatever that guy's name was would have oh, been best God. friends no they wouldn't have he was very racist um yeah. so <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Continue um, the story, please. Yeah. Melville launches a company to sell library supplies, uh, including the hanging vertical file. This is when he moves to Boston. Um, and he invents oh. the hanging vertical file, which is a big part Wait, of like how file cabinet shit? He, kind of, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, in his first year in the city, he organized a librarian convention that led directly to the founding of the American Library Association, which exists, cool. which is, exists to this day. He helps to found yeah. the ALA. Um, the convention is is where he meets his wife, Annie Godfrey, who is a librarian from Wells, uh, Wellesley University. Now, okay. the fact that he meets his wife at a professional convention as a co-worker and then like hits on her and marries her was not seen as problematic at the time. Um, sure. But I did find an excerpt from a, a, a glowing write-up uh, in 1981 of Melville Dewey that talks about this and has what you might notice some red flags in it. Okay. Dewey attended the event, as did Annie Godfrey, the librarian at Wellesley College. The single-purposed, business-like Mr. Dewey did not surprise those of his acquaintance who recognized him as a ladies' man when he later married cool. this young woman. Now, 1981, none of the bad stuff about Dewey is really popularly talked about. He's still kind of lauded as the hero of library world. But uh-huh. at, you mu- as a general rule, not always, because to talk about Jeff Bezos, met his wife at work. She insists she was the one who started things. I'd, I've never heard any evidence of him being creepy to people at work. Bill Gates, on the other hand, also meets his wife at work. A ton of women found him very I, creepy I at work. Say, you know, uh, There's yeah. no shortage there. But... So just the fact that he meets his wife at a library convention, not an inherently creepy but sure. spoilers he's a creepy sex pest um yeah yeah uh, yeah he is not a ladies man he is a sexual a harasser lady. but but i do i do see what i mean i think that yeah. ladies man was code for sexual harassment it's probably recently. fair to say very yeah. very recently yeah maybe the past um, five years even yeah now, I get ahead of myself a little bit, though. So uh, Dewey founds the American Library Journal around the same time, which he edits, and his ideas through this journal kind of sweep through the field. He continues, after starting the decimal system, to have a huge influence on the... Because this is the period in which libraries are really becoming like a thing in public, and not just in the United States. And he is maybe the most influential person in this he's period. He's a library influencer. He literally influential. is... Yeah. Gen Z, but he's going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. He's, oh boy, is he going to get canceled, Jamie? <laughs> I Jamie, don't know what happened. He's, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into the way, to the way he gets canceled. It's pretty remarkable. Oh, um, okay. So pretty soon, though, he, his ideas sweep the field, and in quick order, his decimal system and his other innovations are standard, not just nationwide, but all over the world, it, it, it starts to happen. In 1883, mm-hmm. he gets a job at Columbia University, and he moves his family to New York so he could found the Columbia School of Library Economy. Now, this was probably Dewey's great feminist icon moment, because he encourages women to apply to Columbia to become librarians, even though women are banned from attending the school. That eight night, yeah, this 1981 article, the Wilson Library Bulletin article, which is very positive towards him, um, notes. Dewey was firmly convinced that women were destined to become librarians and that his goal was to help them achieve this destiny. He simply ignored the rules, and he seemed oblivious to the fact that his endeavor was further frowned upon because his enrollment questionnaire, which obviously had not been screened by higher authorities, required information as to the applicant's weight, height, and color of hair and eyes, as well as the suggestion that a photograph be included. (laughs) I know, right? I was like, that's... The start is like, oh, he's fighting for women to be able to have a career that's... Oh, no, 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 no. Nope. That's so, oh God, that's so asked, fascinating too, because it's like, I mean, it's just, it just takes one pervert to change mm-hmm. an industry, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you do like associate, I feel like almost, I mean, 
I, yeah. I, I at least associate live librarian yeah. as a traditionally feminine yes. job, we'll but also it is like a, a bit, but yeah, a highly skilled job mm-hmm. and requires yeah. a lot of training and degrees. And, sh- uh, like, that, it's, it all, and it's because he was horny. It's because I he's mean, horny. Uh, one could argue it's I, broadly uh, speaking positive that he's this horny weirdo and thus does this like it, <laughs> it is you can but be horny for good i just bad resent parts. it yeah. on a base, i wouldn't say he's horny level. for good i would say you that shouldn't. accidentally the outcome of this is more positive than negative and this yeah. is stating the obvious but systemically yeah. someone shouldn't have some weird guy shouldn't have to get horny for women to get a college education. no of course not of course not but, but um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And when he's asked to explain why he requires photographs for applicants to the library program, his explanation is you cannot polish a pumpkin. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah. Um, if they're ugly, he doesn't want to let no, them into the program. That's what that means. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of when I was working on the Kathy podcast, There, there was like this whole... And this is like talk from like the 70s and 80s, like this, whatever, this attitude existed until very recently of like secretaries, also like front facing skilled jobs that are underpaid and traditionally by women. And like, yeah, this whole concept of like, you have to have a front desk look like you have to like you looking good makes the whole business more appealing, even though it's like, well, you're just you're doing a skilled job. You shouldn't have to also worry about making some weird guy horny and dealing but yeah. it sounds like that's going to be a big problem right yeah nobody nobody asks me to look nice to do my job i do but you ignore it i, I definitely do um, <laughs> i keep sending you emails i should I be am, fired i'm like i am Robert. a crumbling piece of shit most days so <clears throat> the fact that melville dewey decided that women were destined to be librarians uh, had a number of reverberating positive impacts For generations, the field was a way for independent women to find work and a way to support themselves independent of a father or a husband. The career field provided opportunities for single women and mothers like a lot of I think a lot of women who are like um, not straight are able to find ways to be more independent because this is a career path that are open to them. And to this day, about 79 percent of librarians are women like right. It's very positive that there is a, a professional reasonably well-paid way uh, job that is seen as like a job a woman can get that isn't that like that's good in this time it gives you like, access it's to higher education yeah right, ab- right. Like, absolutely time, that's, that's positive. Not nothing yeah and he does get fired from columbia for accepting women because that's wow. not their policy um like so he's he was again, so horny he got fired he was so horny he got fired for equality um and he's Feminism. also like a, a suffrage Feminist advocate win. later in life like that's not He's not. I know. I know. He's not all again, horny. But. He's not all horny, but he's largely horny. Um, and he was he was definitely not a believer <laughs> in chart. basic mental equality between men and women. Um, in an 1886 speech titled "Librarianship as a Profession for College Bred Women," and we'll talk about that term in a second. Dewey noted that while women who had been bred well enough to get a college education oh, were intelligent no, and could be librarians, word. they were not reliable employees. He warned that they were likelier to get sick or to quit the job to pursue a home life. This wasn't a reason not to hire them, he argued, but it was reason to pay them less than men for the same work. He added that men deserved more money because they were better able to, quote, lift a heavy, heavy case or climb a ladder. There were many uses for which a stout corduroy is really worth more than the finest silk. Oh, okay. And also it always says his like bigoted statement in the creepiest way possible. Yeah. Stout like, corduroy and the finest stout silk. Stout corduroy and the finest silk. I'm like, oh God. I mean, 
I'm going to stop calling him a virgin, but like, you know, he's married. I just, yeah, that's gross. That's gross. It is, it is, it is definitely a a way to describe your sexism that seems unique to me. I'm sure other dudes in the time were doing it. It's fascinating. I mean, mean, speaking of Reddit, men on Reddit are describing uh, genders like that uh, as we speak. mm -hmm. They're slapping their hands across. Oh, he would have killed it. This Mm -hmm. this guy would have killed it on the internet in all the worst Mm ways. My question is... My question is, how did like uh, how did that pay breakdown work? Do you have any information on that? Like, how much less were I? I, I don't were have specific breakdowns others? on this, and I don't think he was advocating in numbers. He was just saying, like, of course, you're not going to pay women as much to do. Oh, he was like, well, libraries. obviously, women shouldn't be paid equal for yeah. equal work. Yeah, but that he doesn't said, believe it's equal I'm work because they can't lift. <laughs> <laughs> Now, starting in the 1880s and continuing for nearly half a century, Dewey also engaged in a pattern of behavior against his female colleagues that his biographer, Wayne Wigand, described as, quote, unwelcome hugging, unwelcome touching, and certainly unwelcome kissing. In a 2018 interview with the American Libraries magazine, Wigand said this, Was there an element of power in his behavior? There was. To my knowledge, he never squeezed a woman who was his equal. It was usually subordinates. And when Wigand says equal, he's not being sexist. He's talking about like within the the structures of the institutions, right? Right. So not only is he sexually harassing women, but he's only sexually harassing women who are lower positioned than him in the organizations that they work in. I mean, and and not that it's okay. Like that's again, uh, no, obviously like, not because it's like it, you shouldn't sexually harass anyone. But that implies anybody, a level sure. of strategy too. To yes, like women yes. who cannot retaliate that makes it more predatory, right? Like right, it's right. more predatory if you are going, if you are thinking about the position of the women that you are sexually harassing. You know? Um, yeah, and I mean, and he's a very like, I mean just based on what we know about him and how his brain works mm. he's a very deliberate and strategic person and i think it stands to reason that he would have thought yeah, something absolutely like that absolutely him. yeah, yeah it, it, this is further we don't have as you know the kind of granular detail obviously you get about a guy like harvey weinstein and what he was doing because this is happening in the 1880s you know like you you just right. don't have most of these reports but the information we do get i think makes it clear that he is predatory in his behavior right. towards it feels like he feels like you should have his reports because yeah. he writes like he's iming people but you don't we do have a lot like it is it is a mark of what a sexual harasser he was that we have quite a bit of detail of a guy sexually harassing women in the late 1800s and early 1900s I was about to say, this is kind like, of unusual to hear yes. um, of sexual harassment is, with detail from this uh, era specifically and this is another important thing worth noting the racism that kind of gets baked into the dewey decimal system that's in his head is not exceptional for his time the level to which he sexually harasses women is seen by his peers as exceptional and unsettling that in in the in 18, the 1800s yeah women can't vote oh yeah and God. and other dudes are being like this guy is really not this is not okay like putting their arms around their wives they forced to marry them being like mm-hmm. babe i'd never do that to you yeah oh my god like that is the kind of sexual harasser that he is like Sheesh. it is noted at the time as being exceptional um okay. 
That's in ni- yeah, uh, in 1905, Melville takes a cruise to Alaska with a number of his colleagues at the American Library Association. This is after a big convention. Um, okay. The cruise was meant as a place for them to like, they had this big convention. Now we're going to kind of start laying out our plans for next year. Um, and over the course of a few days, um, Dewey, who is, I should note, six feet tall, which is very tall for the time, sexually harasses and like physically co- goes after four different female ALA members on a cruise ship. Um, God. Now, the I like. In- I do feel comforted by the fact that I'm the same height as him because I'm looking mm-hmm. at a picture of him. Oh, I'm you like, could, kick, could his kick his ass. No, yeah, I was like, absolutely. I could kick this guy's ass. Yeah, no, no problem. Not, not even an issue. Because um, again, motherfucker didn't lift. Um, so over the course. <laughs> <laughs> the impact in spite of the fact that he was yeah. a stout corduroy, mm-hmm. he, he couldn't lift for shit. <laughs> the impact of Dewey's sexual harassment is perhaps best illustrated by the story of Adelaide Hass, um, who is to this like now a very influential thing, like helps, to, I think, to a similar extent to Dewey, build the concept of like how libraries function and what a librarian should do. do. There's like books oh, about okay. her. She's like a very influential female librarian. Um, I've never it, heard of her. Yeah, I mean librarians right like how much do you hear about influential librarians as a rule but yeah i guess that's true but we i think i think people might want to look into adelaide huss if you're interested in this history um and she when early on in her career she crosses paths with melville also in 1905 and i'm going to read a quote from history.com about what happens next as a young woman, she struggled to be taken seriously by mostly male executive boards. She created a groundbreaking new way to classify government documents and was disappointed when a male colleague claimed the credit. But armed with a new job at the New York Public Library, a better salary, and an ambitious new project, she finally felt optimistic about her career. To pull off her newest plan, she'd need support, so she approached the leading voice in the field, Melville Dewey, a man whose innovations made him a household name. He suggested they meet privately about her new project. Encouraged, she made her way to Albany, New York, only to find that he had arranged what amounted to a weekend-long date. It's unclear what happened next, but Hass departed hastily after being taken for a long drive by Dewey, and later spoke to colleagues about how offensive his behavior had been. Now, well, I think that that's. I mean, I I know that that's not oh, particularly more. specific. Oh God! Yeah, this again, we don't awful. know exactly what happened, but I found an article from American Libraries Magazine that does go into more detail. It cites from a letter Dewey wrote to Hass later, in which he complained that she had ran away so suddenly, but also stated, "I am very glad that I know you better. Sometimes I think of you as Shakespeare's Cordelia, for your voice is hers. Sometimes as Brunhilda, fair." blue-eyed saxon so he does not get the message (laughs) no this is oh god that this is like i mean it's it's, it's it's chilling and bad and also i'm like i i just i am stuck on like i I am shocked that records from this era exist of this kind of behavior and it it does so closely mirror stories from it's exactly the same shit it's exactly the the same same shit that is like this is harvey weinstein shit what has went through like this is exactly the same shit yeah it's just um, like creepy misspelled uh, letters instead of emails. Like, that's yes, just I mean, uh, and it's like, you know, this is all. But this is like a, kind of an interesting example of like, and we have every receipt for some reason. Yeah, we, not, I mean, obviously not all. Though. I'm, I'm sure there are sure. probably a couple, probably, I mean, dozens to hundreds of, of women who we don't have the stories of that, that do we in some way mistreated um right. but but we know we have some of Hass's story um in part because she Ugh. became a very significant figure in her own right uh and her biographer right. noted in it hmm? 
Oh, I was just, I, I was about to say that, that, that always makes a difference too. If she's a person of note, then she'll always, you know, like, and that's not a slight against her. It's just like when, when women and, or like, no. uh, victims in general, like if they're that's, not someone that worth talking about, people don't talk about them. Yeah. It's one of the value. It's one of the ways in which a woman who has been through that experience, like a positive to being famous is that you can help make it clear by your experience, how many people who are not famous have gone through something similar. And that's positive. Yeah. Um, Her biographer noted in 2018 um, that the way Dewey referred to her there with the lurid romantic mythical descriptions was not at all the normal style for co-ed communication between librarians. He's like, this is not even men who are probably guilty of a lot of gross behavior themselves. They don't write to their female colleagues this way. Like, this is weird. This stands out within. I'm a dude. I'm a biographer who reads a lot of letters from librarians to librarians i ain't seen anything else like this right um, like this is egregiously this is egregious yeah okay um adelaide decides though not to take any action against him and she explains to one colleague in a letter we are a professional body the members of which encountering obnoxious personal traits and fellow members must content ourselves to employ those defenses which reason training and character dictate so she's like we need to defend against this guy. We need to warn women about him, stop them from, but we, we, we can't like make a big thing about it. Right. That's, I mean, um, that's like a classic whisper. Uh, network. It's, the it's same. like, it's we, the same today. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you can't, you, it, it's uh, the system in which it's like, well, we don't have any faith that anyone in an authoritative position is going to advocate for us. So we have to protect ourselves and just yeah. like, or we're going to, or, and it's like, that's a, especially in this era, that's a reasonable concern for her of like, mm-hmm. if I Absolutely. speak up, I'm going to lose my job. And like, that's a reasonable concern do? in 20 fucking 22. Now. Like, yeah, uh, this like is 1905, you know? Yeah. Like, it, um, it, uh, that makes total yeah. sense. And it's also still so depressing. God. Now, God. Now, well, there's actually, it's about to get a little less depressing briefly because. It, it would be wrong to say that knowledge of Dewey's improprieties was an open secret because that would imply it was secretive in any kind of way. Like, it was well known to everybody that he was this kind of dude. On one occasion, his son and daughter-in-law, Godfrey and Marjorie Dewey, move out Boy. of the family house because Dewey's own son felt the need to get his wife away from his father. Because the sexual advances his father Jesus. was making towards his daughter-in-law were so constant and uncomfortable. Like, oh my that is the level of, like, that's another level, right? Of like, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's another level of sex. I mean, it's like that your daughter in law who you live with and you're, that's, yeah, that's yeah. like, that's very, very sick. Fuck. It would be hard to exaggerate the degree to which this guy is a creep. Like, okay. Like, he's a Weinstein level offender, even if we don't have that amount of detail. He's, he's has to be like yeah i mean if there's this much information from so long ago like yeah and i think the fact that he's like sexually harassing his own daughter-in-law that also makes the case that like it's compulsive for him like he's he's doing it to like every chance he gets pretty much i mean there's a degree i think of calculation but like yeah i mean it just does seem like any anyone that he thinks he can get away with this behavior from he will prey on yeah yeah Now, Dewey was fairly open about his behavior. He didn't see it as problematic, and he wasn't sure why anyone else would either. From American Libraries magazine, quote, In general, Dewey himself did not deny his actions, only their impropriety. I have been very unconventional, as men always are, who frankly show and speak of their liking for women, he wrote. But, he insisted, it was not his fault if the targets of his unconventional actions took offense. 
That's like ladies' man rhetoric. That's mm-hmm. something that still mostly exists. Yeah, there's oh, literally a quote from him that's like, they. I think women know to take it as a compliment. Like, <laughs> he's, he's just a real yeah, piece of shit. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, oh, they can't, like, if they don't like it, they can't fucking yeah. hang. You know, yeah. like, yeah, that's, ugh, jeez. Now, the times being what they were back then, few of of his victims ever said anything publicly about his behavior. That we have as much documentation as we do suggests that, again, he was a sex pest on a pretty staggering scale. Nothing makes this point so well as the fact that in 1906, after harassing Hass and then several colleagues on a cruise, the other members of the ALA united to push Dewey out of the organization he had helped to found. Wygand wow. notes, quote, in exchange for a quiet departure, he was spared an ugly and public expose of one of his major flaws. He was never again a power player in ALA politics. And this is, I think they actually get, I, I give the ALA so in 1906. he 1906, got 1905 canceled? He got canceled in 1906 for sexual harassment. Do you know how bad you have to be to be canceled in 1906 canceled. for this? Holy, like that is like this is kind of blowing my mind yeah this it's he got, intense how and it's so one of those things like the people who were not getting canceled in, in, and in like tr- we're using canceled facetiously but like yeah. in 1906 in 1906 there was some shit going on yeah wow and it's the kind of thing where in 2022 you tell me that like an organization big company or whatever quietly forces its founder out so that sexual the fact that he's been sexually harassing and even assaulting women doesn't become public that's damning of that organization that's damning in 2022 in 1906 you get a lot of credit for doing that because that's something you know like that is something and there's a whole lot of nothing going on yeah 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 it's a different it is morally i think different to quietly force the founder of your organization out in 1906 for sexual harassment than it is in 2022 like this might and i know yeah. I'm sure that there's other examples of it, but like this is the first, this is the earliest example I've heard. I've, I'm not, I have not heard that. of an earlier one for sure. Like for this specific thing, like they get, and I think it's a lot of the people who are doing this are women because it's it's you know the ALA, um, uh-huh. and this is the most they could do too. So I don't think this is an example today. You hear about this like he gets a chance to leave quietly, and I think it's kind of cowardice on part of the organization. I don't feel that sure. way here. Like, I'm sure maybe some of them feel that way, but I think a, no, a lot I, of it is I, just people doing what can be done, you know? I agree. I think that the, the implications mm-hmm. of this decision in 1906 versus 2022 are very, yeah. very, very different. And, I, I would yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else the implications of are different? Oh, no. The Is it a product or a service? Yeah, or? that's not a great yeah. ad pivot. You know, they can all be good. Look, what do you what do you want from me? Look, motherfuckers. I, no one's... Okay, you're being defensive. No one's yelling yeah. at you. It's Thank fine. you. I just, I, I get so angry at, at the fans. You set the bar so high for yourself, and then you lash out at people who love you. Don't That's, do that. Yeah, that is what I do. All right, no. well, you know Sorry, who also, too- who does love <laughs> you, is the, these ads. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Uh we're back. We sure my are. goodness. You know Oh my god. Well Jamie, that was a that was a brutal segment. That was rough, right? That's that's that a rough, rough one. Yeah. I'm sure it's not gonna get worse. Yeah. Now, of course, the quiet nature of his resignation after decades of lauded work for the ALA meant that for a very long time, there was almost no discussion of his improprieties. The first biography published after his death, written in 1932, was titled Melville Dewey, Seer, Inspirer, Doer. And it leaves out all of the references to his behavior Except for one sentence. So this is the one his nineteen thirty two biography. There's one sentence. Okay. This is this is the one reference made in the thirties. Okay. Dewey's consciousness of his own strength and freedom from evil purpose led to a serene indifference in his everyday public relations with women. Uh, <laughs> what does that sorry, even mean? Sorry, 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 sorry. Can you read that again and a little slower? Dewey's consciousness of his own strength and freedom from evil purpose led to a serene indifference in his everyday public relations with women evil purpose he knew he was a good guy so it was fine for him to sexually harass them like that's kind of what they're saying i think that's exactly what they're saying because he knew he was such a good man it was okay for him to treat them this way yeah oh god it's 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 legitimately a fucking insane sentence (laughs) like was it evil what 
his he's he's caught he was so conscious of his own strength and his freedom from evil purpose that he was indifferent to how he treated women evil purpose to serene indifference yeah that I, does sound like that's what, out of its mind that sentence <laughs> that sentence really goes that is wow yeah. I could spend days with that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's books that can be written about what that sentence oh. is saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That now, is gnarly. Wow. Okay. Uh, Thank you for that. I, I will note because this is the period that it is. I found a whole ass scholarly paper that makes what seems to be a pretty thorough case that Dewey was not a eugenicist. He wasn't really an opponent of eugenics either. He just didn't seem to that agree with a lot I of wondered. the arguments yeah. being made. Um, okay. He doesn't seem to have been a, a eugenicist. And this is also worth noting, he was not a eugenicist. He was for sure a racist. And and this is where oh, I yeah. get beyond the racism okay. in the Dewey Decimal System is, this is a guy who grows up in a racist system, never questions it, so he builds some of that racism into this thing he built. Now we're going to talk about Dewey being aggressively and like exceptionally for the time racist. Um, and okay. to talk about that, we're going to talk about the Lake Placid Club. In the so early sorry, 19- we were. So I just wanted to be so he's at this point because he invents the Dewey Decimal System mm-hmm. in his early 20s. Now he's mm-hmm. in his 50s, right? Yeah. He's like well into his. OK, so this yeah. is like a totally different era of this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. this is the early 1900s. He buys a private okay. club in the Adirondacks. From the beginning, Jews and black people were forbidden to be members of the club, which is <sighs> not unusual for clubs at the time. Um mm-hmm. The club rules noted, no one shall be received as a member or guest against whom there is physical, moral, social, or race objection. It is found impracticable to make exceptions to Jews or others excluded, even when of unusual personal qualifications. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is not uncommon with, like, fancy clubs at the time, but they usually don't write it down. That's what makes it weird, is that he, like, they just won't let Jews in. This is very, very mask off. Yeah. Yeah. Races, yeah, uh, and and Dewey knew that these rules were offensive enough that so obviously when he's still with the ALA, um, and when he's with the, there's a New York Library Association that he's a member of for, for a later period, um, when they have he, he'll do gatherings for these organizations that he'll host at the club that he owns, um, and he'll hide the rule book because he'll let like there's Jews that he lets in for these library events you know so he he wants to hide the, so he knows that what he's doing is fucked up right like That's he hides so it. insidious um, yeah yeah now this came to an end in a rather spectacular fashion in 1903 and i want to quote now from a write-up by book riot this swanky party happened every year at the lake placid club however 1903 was special that year dewey hadn't hidden the club's rule book this le- being a librarian shindig someone found the thing on a side table and decided to read it that person turned out to be a friend of henry leipziger a jewish member of the nyla the new york library association circulation committee together they read the pamphlet and discovered the language forbidding racial and ethnic minorities but especially and specifically jews coincidentally leipziger had been trying to become a member of the Lake Placid Club for years. Now he knew why his application was on permanent hold. That's right. Dewey hadn't even told him about the no Jews rule. Jesus Christ. Leipziger did the opposite of shutting up about Dewey's racist social club. Dewey was then the state librarian of New York, a publicly funded position. New York City was a major center of Jewish culture, and Leipziger felt that Jewish tax dollars were going to waste on an unapologetic anti-Semite. He hired lawyer Louis Marshall, who lodged a petition with the Board of Regents to get Dewey fired in 1905. 
Who boy. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we don't record on Friday night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Dewey was forced to quit his state library position, even though he mounted a spirited defense by saying he had Jewish friends. Um, And again, to to talk about how racist and he gets canceled for sexual harassment and racism in in 1906. This story took place last spring, as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing. Absurd. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you'll, you'll also note that this Jewish guy who gets offended at the Lake Plastic Club, I don't think is arguing on behalf of black people. Um, I don't think he's offended that black people are. So like, what you know, it, it, we're, it's 1906, right? Like everything's terrible um, or 1905. But um, yeah, so Dewey uh, quits his state library position. This is, I think, a little after he got kicked out of the ALA. Um, and right around the time that this controversy breaks out, part of why he has to quit is it comes out that not only was he not allowing Jewish people to enter his club, he had bought a bunch of the land around the lake, uh, Placid Club, so that Jews couldn't buy it. So that there wouldn't even be Jews who oh could like God. look at his club. Like that. that's, again, he keeps going the extra mile on this shit, you know? This is um, like, yeah, like it's... Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's so much anti-Semitism. And then he's just like going into regular spaces like and again, this is not a thing that he's spending a lot of time and money to do. This is it, yeah. And again, the thing worth noting is that he is not getting canceled for his racism against black people, which is not at all exceptional for the time. And it's kind of gets lost in sort of the everyone's that racist. He's not getting canceled because he's racist right. towards Southeast Asians. He's really racist specifically own, right? racist towards Jewish people. And in New York Probably wouldn't have happened if he'd lived somewhere else. But in New York, he gets canceled as a result of that. You know, that was um, yeah. I mean, well, it's that's, worth that's being specific about own, the racism but... that is considered a problem in this period. You know, sheesh. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, his history of sexual harassment and racism had cratered his pu- public career by 1906. But Dewey continued to run the Lake Placid Club, which, among other things, was a place where he could indulge in his language revision fantasies without pushback. One 1927 menu listed haddock, H-A-D-O-K, potted beef, P-O-T-E-D, with noodles, N-O-O-D-L-S, parsley, P-A-R-S-L-I, or mashed, M-A-S-H-T, potato, butter, B-U-T-R, steamed rice, S-T. T-E-E-A-M-D-R-Y-S lettuce L-E-T-I-S and Weiss cream? I don't know what Y-S cream is supposed to be. Is that how he thinks you should say ice? ice? cream? Is that maybe ice cream? I think that might that be ice cream. Be Y-S ice, to be ice cream? Ice Weiss cream? cream? This, see, I think this, fuck, is a, Dewey? This, this is a good this is a good yardstick for like how I feel about him because it was hilarious the first time and when he's doing it in the 1920s I'm not mm. laughing. I'm it, like, there's nothing funny. No, it's not funny anymore. Mm-hmm. Now you're just a sad weird man in Lake Placid mm-hmm. making typos on purpose. In 1927, Dewey hired a stenographer who he described in his unique spelling way as a dainty little L-I-T-L flapper and better looking than I expected, B-E-T-R. After he hugged and kissed her in public, she threatened to file charges and ended up settling with Dewey for $2,147.66. And again, like... Not nothing then. That's not nothing then and also like... Uh, it's he again this is egregious enough that he doesn't think he can win in court despite being a rich dude against this woman like that says something pro like you know like people being sexually harassed just taking the rich person's money because Mm -hmm. the justice system is so fucking broken it's like go as far as you can in the justice system and then take all their money where while you're fucking at it get what you can you know um yeah 
Ugh, yeah. According to Wayne Wygand, author of Irrepressible Reformer, a biography of Melville Dewey, Dewey was upset with the settlement, not because he had been reprimanded for anything improper, but because he worried the stenographer might got might spread rumors that she got two thousand dollars for no work. Similarly, oh. unrepentant after he. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Still efficiency minded, mm-hmm. even when he is in court for being mm-hmm. a sex pest. Similarly unrepentant after he was censured by the ALA, Dewey insisted he hadn't done anything wrong. Pure women would understand my ways, he said. I have no comment. He's a real I, piece of shit. Huh. It's just it, like... It sucks. It sucks is, pretty bad. <laughs> there's, there's just like this impulse in people that I don't understand to um, double down on the worst parts of themselves to the point where like anything remotely useful that they had done in their entire lives are rendered upsetting to even think about like what is that element of human nature it is so ugly and dark and i'm and i'm upset Mm -hmm. robert well, here's a here's a good thing. Is Jamie. he going to die soon? He does. He dies on December twenty sixth, nineteen thirty one, of a stroke right. in Lake Placid. Um, okay, good. And yeah, like, please uh, say there's no more information. No, he's fucking dead as shit now. Now, for decades, dead. he is, as we've talked about a bit, largely lionized and applauded for his achievements. But in recent years, the tide has begun to turn. Not because of new evidence brought up against the man, but because his behavior started being recognized by broader culture as problematic again. In two thousand nineteen, the American Library Association. Association dropped his name from an award as the result of his racism and sexual harassment. Sherry wow. Harrington, part of the task force that drafted the resolution to do this, explained, It wasn't like he's being judged by 21st century standards. He was called out repeatedly for his sexual harassment behavior during his time. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm, I, that's, I mean, that's crumbs, but I'm glad that it happened. That's yeah. Very yeah. good. It does, it does happen, and it is like, when I heard there was a man who got canceled for sexual harassment in 1906, I was like, well, we've got to talk about this. Well, that would have, that will have had to have been pretty fucking bad. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's uh, gotta be a tale. Yeah. And it sure was. Wow. Robert, this, I had, I simply didn't know. I Mm -hmm. didn't, this was all, was this all information that you learned about relatively recently? I had known Dewey was like a sexist asshole. I didn't know most of it. I certainly did not know that like, the the racism in the Dewey Decimal. I had no idea about any of that. Um, That's which is a probably thesis fr- paper in, right there. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot that has. I mean, I know there's a lot that has. I'm sure there's more to be written about the impact that has had, um, sure. which is certainly like the most toxic thing he did in terms of its impact on society. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's um pretty bad. Pretty pretty shitty dude, <laughs> Melville Dewey. Wow. Not a uh, fan. I'm going to fuck that so, guy. I'm sorry. Takeaways. I'm going to go burn down a library. Like, yeah. Go burn down a library. The... Um, okay, okay. You know, um, all librarians are your enemy now. I think that's clear. Um, yeah. <laughs> Always the, has been true. Uh, hunt them Always down in their, in their places, um, wherever God. they hide, you know, if, so, if someone makes a parks and recreation joke, I will kill myself. So don't, Oh, I don't even know. Are, are there librarians in that show? There, there's like, there's librarians in that show. I, I, um, I couldn't couldn't there, get into it. I mean, and that's see, and that's what I love about you. Um, there, no, it's fine. I uh, I do I I do love a library. I do feel that it's still so wild to me that libraries um, are so underfunded and also like 
are the only place where so many things are able to happen in a socially acceptable, like it's the only socially acceptable no. place to get free Wi-Fi or go to the bathroom or read. Like the it, two coolest things our government does are is the post office and libraries. Um, that government easily, in general does. Like, easily, and, yeah, big, yes. big fan. Um, yes. Um. So it sucks that there was a, a deeply unsettling, bigoted person who has such a large effect on libraries. But I'm glad that libraries are grappling with. Yeah, it seems um, like this is a thing because it. it is like a very like the library biz, like the people who are in libraries tend to be well educated and pretty progressive. I think the you ALA have is a masters, uh, maybe? somewhat progressive as an organization. I'm sure librarians. Uh, there are uh, progressive librarians might disagree with aspects of that, but I think broadly speaking, um, it seems like there are there are ongoing attempts to address the the impact of these problems. Um, can I can I plug yeah. a quick library related thing for sure? OK, if you're currently and if there is, it's one of the products and services in the episode, I'm sorry. But if you're currently an Audible subscriber, uh, stop giving your money to Jeff Bezos. And there are so I get all of my audiobooks from the library yeah. on an app. Absolutely. Um, and so if you are if you're not tapped into your local libraries like audiobook system uh, or ebook system, uh, stop giving money to billionaires and start giving money to nobody. It's your right. It's your right to Sharon Stone's biography. Speaking as a guy who's written multiple books that are in libraries every now and then you get some fucking shithead writer on Twitter who is like, well, you're, you're taking money from me by like getting my books from a library. If, if you find a writer who has that attitude, stop reading their books and start hitting them with a brick yourself. Hit them with a brick. Give them a brick. You know, that's a brick. Free books are dope. Um, Free books are amazing, uh, and and um, make sure that you're yeah you're using your library for all its worth yeah. because that's why it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good times. And all right, fuck well, Dewey, uh, Jamie, you got any other pluggables you want to drop in the P zone? Uh in the Pizone. In the Pizone. <laughs> Do you guys remember when Pizones were a thing? Of course, I remember when yeah, Pizone. Yeah, that was saying. like Pizza Hut, right? That did yeah, the Pizone. Yeah. Yeah. Joey yeah. Chestnut competed in Pizone competitions. Jamie, back in the who day. the fuck is Joey Chestnut? You talk no, about Joey Chestnut no. all the time, and I have no idea who you're we talking about. We don't have about. time. Is for that this. that we sounds like a fake guy? Not a fake Robert, guy. Robert, he's a real guy. I don't. He's a I don't, real guy. I don't like Joey that. Joey Chestnut. Don't like he's that. He's not. Although, actually, there is a behind the bastards in the hot dog eating world that I will talk to you about off mic because it's fascinating. Um, oh but, God. Um. I'll I'll do I'll lead the episode for Christ's sake. I just wrote twelve thousand words about it because Absol- my absolutely head hurts. Jamie Greenlight. I'll, anytime I'll you come okay. here and we'll do a reverse bastards. That sounds incredible. Ooh, that would be really fun. I I know way too much. Joey Chestnut is the um the the champion. I mean, in hot dogs, but also everything. He's the he's the uh, speed like eating champion. Of oh, the in world. speed eating. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Of, I, of the world I, I his name sounds like you, a fake it, person you have it's to a see, real name joseph chestnut of san Jamie diego Joe. joseph san chestnut Sorry. come on Jose, joseph chestnut san jose california My he lives God. in indiana now it's i really look he's won pizone contests there's a whole i would hide okay the other thing i'll plug besides library cards is the 30 for 30 episode about Takeru Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut. It is one of the most fascinating stories ever told. Or don't watch it, and I will recap it for you on a future episode of Behind the Bastards, because it is just wild. Well, Um, I think I'm about to learn a lot about the competitive eating industry, which I have devoted 
about a third of a second thinking to in my life up to this point. Um, I, you're I would say luck. 99% of my knowledge of competitive eating comes from that one King of the Hill episode that's pretty good. And that that is a pretty well-informed episode. Um, I will plug, uh, I'll plug two things. I'll plug, um, I have solo podcasts that have come out uh, in the last year. ActCast, which is about the Kathy podcast, or the Kathy comic, not podcast. Um, and Lolita podcast, which is about Lolita and its cultural impact. And I'll also plug a TV show I wrote on last year that just got released on HBO Max called Teenage Euthanasia. Um, it's a very fun show about a teenage euthanasia. Inf- oh, okay. Yeah. It's about a family that owns a funeral home and uh, zombies in Florida. Okay. So it's, it's very fun and it's on HBO Max finally. It was really hard to watch for a while. So you can watch it now. And you can catch my show, Mrs. Joseph Chestnut, America, USA, in LA at the Elysian Theater on February 17th at 9 o'clock p.m. I'm really excited for it. Uh, I play Joey Chestnut's uh, widow because I murdered him. So if you live in the L.A. area, uh, it's mandatory. You have to come. Watch Jamie's sweet-ass show. Um, And uh, that's it. Uh, Go, you know, fight a librarian. Just challenge a librarian (laughs) to a duel. You know, they have to accept. That's one of the rules about being a librarian. If you challenge them to a formal duel, they can't say no. They cannot turn you down. And if not, you can report them. Now, they get to pick the weapon. So be careful there. Um, Mm -hmm. But you, you, they will fight you. Every librarian. I've encountered a katana librarian Mm -hmm. or two in my day. I've never won. That's how you lost those fingers. Um, (laughs) Well, that's the episode of Behind the Bastards. Go, um, go with God. Wow. God bless Jesus Christ. (laughs) Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.